0: I'm Heidi Zuckerman, and this is Conversations About Art. I've spent my life connecting people to art to make their lives better. This podcast talks about art in contemporary culture and why we should care. Each episode is an impactful conversation with people I find interesting, and think you will too, about their life values and always about why they think art matters. This is Conversations About Art. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today. My guest is another artist. She is the Spanish-born artist Cristina Iglesias. She and I discuss studio spaces and how to be ourselves, how landscape is constructed, what the impact of memory and imagination is on the environments that we exist in. And it's a really beautiful conversation about some of the more emotive aspects of making art. We all have a memory that is made of a collage
1: of the histories we read, some people have seen it. And and to remember them is something that also is very interesting. Once they disappear, or if it's a permanent piece, the experience of having been there remains in your imagination. Yes, but as you
0: said, it's also a manifestation. Thanks so much for listening. Why don't we start off actually by having you talk us through what your studio looks like and what it feels like to be in that space.
1: Yes. Well, this is, as I said, is is not my main studio. It's a, I mean, a studio where I, let's say, retired sometimes or uh, now is a vacational time or half vacation because I'm working here and I have drawings that I'm doing and also some silk, some silk that I, I do. You know, monotypes. So I paint on them. So it's it's re- really a place of reflection upon mm. projects that I have ahead, but also others that I've done. So I have a lot of books. I'm in the middle of doing a couple of books on projects that uh, we have done. Also some zooms here, so I have a computer. And uh, but it, I have a beautiful view to the countryside here, which is very nice. It has a big mountain and mm. uh, very, very rocky. And then the, the sea a bit on the a distance. So I, I love to be here. But I mean, normally my studio in Madrid is more hectic. That's why to be here is you know,
0: sometimes very, very nice. Are there architectural similarities between the two studios?
1: No, not really, not really, because this is, as I said, smaller and it's more cozy somehow. Well, the the studio of Madrid also has different rooms and spaces. And I also work a lot, what I call an extension of my studio. I mean, many of my pieces I use casted bronze or other metals, but there is a foundry in the Basque Country. That's where I come from, that Mm. where... I consider it like a an extension of my studio and that is very different than the studio in Madrid and this one because it's more, of course, it's a foundry. We were talking about the studio, so this is the, the studio in Madrid is also very nice. It has a garden, or a, or a garden that is full of pieces and things and, you know, so I have an outdoors and an indoor space but I work with more people here. One of the differences is that here I work alone
0: mm-hmm. while
1: in Madrid or in in neighbor that is this place I, I was telling you, I work of course with a team of people and a team that is fantastic. I have a, a woman that is an architect and people that cover the areas that I <sighs> imagine, but cannot let's say give the, the right solution. I need them.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. I've been talking with people recently about the differences between working with a team and leading a team and, and working independently. Obviously, as you referenced, different things can can be done differently. And I love this proverb, right? That African proverb that if you want to go fast go alone and if you want to go far go together and <laughs> i wonder if you could describe your practice and maybe what it feels like or what you focus on when you're working on your own and and what it feels like and what you focus on when you're when you're working with your team
1: every project starts let's say in my mind and in my notes and drawings and readings and uh, Etc. So that's alone. But I, I agree that, and in, in my personal experience, but also my practice, uh, requires many times a team and to, to collaborate with, with others. And, and I'm collaborating with architects, for example, doing projects. And it's not only the team in my studio, but also my team in conversation and dialogue and uh, discussion. With a team of maybe uh, an architectural office or we also work with the gardeners and the uh, people that uh, keep the land and all that is so important i love to to work with people that work in different fields that that they know a lot about uh, those fields and then to collaborate you know and as you said You can go (laughs) far.
0: Absolutely. I definitely want to talk about your project at Madison Square Park. And I'd love to go back a little bit first and ask you when you first came to art. I always love art since a child, but in my very young
1: age, but also science. So I, I actually did three years of chemical. Engineering and art at the same time, you know, but reading and studying, etc. And then I, I decided to commit myself to art and, uh, and try to find a voice, you know, my own way, my own language. And it was my very early 20s. But uh, before that, it was more a, a love, no, a love that I loved to to read about art, to visit museums, and um, yes. And then I started doing exhibitions, and well, I started doing pieces. Let's say I always was attracted to space. I also always liked architecture, and, and but, but more space, in know, more let's say general or or philosophical. Uh, understanding or search. I, I looked a lot to painting too because because of the capacity of illusionism that painting has. And I always was thinking, well, maybe I find a way to, to do something that, that, that creates a place, but uh, that also can have that illusionistic side, you know, like that uh, dream um, space that is not totally present in the physical experience.
0: What do you think the difference is between art and architecture?
1: One always says that is the, the, I mean that architecture is functional and uh, and art doesn't need to be. I, I I think there there are very things that we share in common. That is can be the sense of proportion. The as I was talking the the, the I mean the, the preoccupation of uh, feeling or a certain feeling for space. I think we meet, or let's say, sculpture or or art, because, I mean, sculpture is a very broad uh, name for many things that are done in three-dimensional art forms. I mean, it meets, or let's say, the connection is more poetical in, in art than in, uh, in architecture, I think. I, have to say that when I, I've done several projects were in cities, and I, I mean, thinking in public space, you have to consider a lot of elements, um, prepositions, but also uh, restraints that that are given by the by the architecture, but also by the security and many other things that architects also have to deal with.
0: So when you describe your practice to people that you meet, what do you say? What do you say that you do? <laughs> I
1: think that I always repeat uh, is that I construct places, places to be, places mm. to to have an experience and uh, through that experience to be with others, but also with yourself. Mm. that's what i think is my main concern and and it doesn't need to be only the public pieces i mean it can be a small piece that is for a corner
0: i love this idea of facilitating that experience of of being with others but also being with ourselves and it seems that we're we're striking on a theme already in the conversation about this balance between self and other, and the individual and the collective, and the experience of of both.
1: Yes, I mean for sure. I think that's uh, part of my main concern. You know, this idea to to that you can maybe construct a play, a gathering place. I think my pieces have always a side that is very psychological, I mean that the person, I mean that many things that I think of that are part of the piece affect your senses. Yes, a phenomenological experience and it depends who comes or if you go one day and and again another day, that's a a dream for an artist to say, well, they will come
0: again (laughs) and look at it. Of course, yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, I think that's a, a very interesting subject to think about, to to reflect upon it. I mean, the, the, as you said, no, to meet with others, sometimes people you know, and, and also with strangers, even now thinking in the times we passed that we were isolated. And I thought a lot about the, the importance of creating places in the city where people can meet. And doing a way that there is something that makes you, at one point, see more than what you are looking at. Go, let's say, into yourself.
0: Mm. I love that idea of the something more. I'm just kind of letting that idea roll around in my brain a little bit. I had this experience of uh, being in Thailand and, and working on my meditation practice and doing merit i i think about art and artists as as offering merit and doing merit this idea of you know giving back doing things that are selfless making offerings and in this circumstance when i would perform merit then i was blessed right by the monks and and the the english translation of the blessing was something like what you wish for or something more right now <laughs> and it ties in for me to this idea that we can only hope for things that we already know and if we open ourselves up to things that we don't know and and the fact that there could be more than we could ever have imagined I think it's filled with possibility.
1: Absolutely. I I think art actually opens those doors of perception, not beyond sometimes what we believe, that we are able to um, also to understand the others, the other languages, because art is a language and a universal one.
0: You just referenced art as a universal language, and, and I agree with you. And and one of the things that, you know, I think a lot about and that I ask people about is, you know, what art is, mm-hmm. as well as then, you know, why art matters. I, mm-hmm. I would love it if you would talk a little bit about both of those ideas. As I said,
1: I think art opens doors, you know, in your mind to... To perceive in a, in a in a different way, to to dream also, it also opens. I think it opens us to others that had a let's say a vision or a way of looking to the world and perform it in a way. I mean, the perception of it is so important. Yeah, I I I think that's why art matters. You know, is to make us also reflect, reflect on the issues of. That preoccupied the world, but I mean, to to a better world, but also sometimes to do so, there are pieces that could be dark. Even that darkness to uh, dive there and uh, and try to find light is very meaningful.
0: I was on a call with a friend earlier today. Actually, she's a past guest on the podcast. Um, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say who, who it was because um, <laughs> it's sort of a personal thing. But we were talking about where we were birthed from and what the source of our creation was. She talked about an affinity with darkness and mm-hmm. suggested that she was birthed from from that place. And mm-hmm. the associations with it were not all positive, mostly negative. And Mm -hmm. then it was being used as a a kind of a point or counterpoint to the evolution of where she is now in a place of Mm -hmm. of lightness. And I was suggesting a a reframing around Mm -hmm. a darkness as a origin story and B the negative associations with darkness. And I I wonder how you think about, about darkness.
1: In one hand, I think darkness is what we don't recognize and uh, places or or, or fields, even if it's only in our mind, that we don't connect so easily. Yeah, it's, it's, it's close to undefinition. In another level of, of talking about darkness, but I do it also as a metaphor. I mean, I'm very, very interested also, I some different pieces that work with the underground. The underground is dark, but it's full of life and, and, and full of connections. And so I believe that darkness is a place that is full, No, it's full of meaning. And, and, and I like the dark side of certain things. I like a lot of also, I mean, making an incredible jump with science fiction. There are sometimes descriptions, and I don't know. I'm thinking now because I've used it, and I and I love J. G. Ballard. You know that talks about a place after a disaster, you no, know, and that, that then describes that place as being crystallized, you no, know, a nature that has been crystallized, or 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 the drowned world that is where there is a glaciation and. I think it's the city of London that gets totally covered by water. There is, of course, a a darkness in in those stories, but I find there is a lot of wiseness also to talk about that and to try to to look through.
0: Your reference to science fiction, is that a source of inspiration for you? Yes.
1: Yes, it has been. Maybe, as I told you, I mean, because I I, I think... uh, The science fiction, well, certain uh, science fiction that I'm interested in is is full of, I mean, full of descriptions of worlds that are very dreamlike, but at the same time are made by, written by physics, physicians. So people that really knew about the scientific side of it, but they described it as an imaginary world. So this idea of constructing a physical world or a physical piece in which you imagine another world, I find very inspiring for my
0: own work. I'd love to ask you to talk about some specific works. And you referenced the project that is currently on view in New York with the Madison Square Park Conservancy at the Madison Square Park. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it, it's it's uh, it's titled "Landscape and Memory," and that's right. Can you describe for our listeners what happens in the piece, what the
1: experience mm-hmm. is, where it comes from? I think the piece constructs landscape. I think when you work outdoors, you are responsible of that, even if it's in a urban environment. So Cedar Creek, that now is buried underground is part of the memory of that land eh, of uh, Manhattan, specifically, actually, the park. I mean, it passed, I mean, it ran eh, through the park part of it. For me, it's also a metaphor for all the hidden rivers in the world. Well, it consists of five underground spaces made in bronze where water runs, you know, constantly like, like a stream imagine stainless steel mirrors in both ends of these spaces, these underground unit spaces in both ends, they construct the continuity because the mirrors, I mean, you see the reflection and it continues, even if they are, as I say, underground. And so this continuity and the illusion of connection between them, I mean, is helped by these mirrors that are on both sides, but also by a special grass that we planted around and between the openings. It's a grass that grows taller and looks wider, giving an idea of humidity below in the underground. And, and at the same time, drawing the curvy line of the stream of what the river was. While well, these bronze masses that I uh, mentioned have the, the impression I want to say the texture, no, the impression of mud, rocks, and roots remind us also of those under the trees, the real ones that they are there, connecting everything. I mean, they remind us of all the memory, but also the present underground, with cables and pipes, but also the, the natural world underneath, underneath everything we we construct, no. So it's interesting the extension of the gaze in in, in in this piece or in any piece like that, that you look at it and your perception from a distance and the view at a more myopic, you know, short distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe in that case, kneeling on the grass or lying next to it, listening to the sound of water, it slows down, the you know, the rhythm of the city is something that I also have worked a lot a lot in other pieces. I mean or let's say that's one of my intentions. And as I was telling you in all my work the yeah the psyche of the viewer plays an important role because because it is affected by what you see and what you imagine. So there is part of the piece that you have to imagine. It's not present. That's why I was describing it gives you a sense of continuity but uh, you have to imagine and seeing the the grass growing high higher than the rest completes the piece so your imagination constructs the piece and the memory of it the memory of the place too it's, it's difficult to describe because it's a it's a piece that that also uh, I love that it is quite somehow invisible so it's very subtle because from a distance, you see the the grass, the line, this line that is wide, like uh, one and a half meters, a bit more, two meters in some places. I mean, it's not always the same. You don't see those interiors that I'm describing, this, this bronze uh, that uh, actually recall the idea of memory, of an old uh, values, you know, place where history,
0: Is there still there? It's so interesting to think about how things that can be invisible can be made visible, both Mm -hmm. through memory, right, of Mm -hmm. of what was there before, but also through imagination. Mm -hmm. There's, I think, also potentially the opportunity to think about manifestation, right? And so Mm -hmm. maybe there's an, an interesting relationship between those four things you know Mm -hmm. memory imagination invisibility and manifestation
1: absolutely that's very it's very interesting yeah because it's it's, it's what i just said your imagination really constructs that that let's say completes the memory we all have a memory that is made of a collage of the histories we read some people have seen it And and to remember them is something that also is very interesting. Once they disappear, or if it's a permanent piece, the experience of having been there remains in your imagination. Yes, but as you said, it's also a manifestation.
0: I think it would be really interesting for our listeners to get some insight into how a work in the public realm happens. Will you talk through the invitation that you received for this specific project, and mm-hmm. then maybe your visits to the site? Things mm-hmm. that are are very potentially obvious to, to you from mm-hmm. your experiences, but might be invisible mm-hmm. uh, to our mm-hmm. to our listeners.
1: Mm-hmm. In this case, because it's a it's a temporary piece, artists are being invited. To propose a project and do a project uh, in the space of the park, and then while well, I went through looking to maps of the of the park and in Manhattan and so the site and and I was thinking because I've worked as I told you and you know with the I mean underground rivers I mean the idea of the water running that still is there even if. We have constructed upon them so I proposed my project and creator. we had discussions about it I went to the public library I mean to have more information of the site but as I said also for me it's a metaphor of situations like that in other places in the world we discuss about that now we are working on the small public publication that they do. Then I, in my case, I constructed, well, we thought on constructing the bronze parts in the States, but, but at the end it was more economical to do it in Spain and, and send them in a ship. That's what, what I did. So I worked uh, with the information that I got on the site and the information that I have in my the memory of my pieces too with my own work. And well, uh, I developed that, and then I, at the same time, I worked with the team in New York on many issues. One of them, of course, the preparation of the site, the drawing of the river, how we had to, let's say, uh, do it in a way that didn't disturb at all the roots of the of the trees there. So. There is a fantastic team that take care of the park, and we work together on that. And then we had to dig spaces where the units will go. I mean, these underground bronze units. And uh, at the same t- parallel to it, I was doing them in in Spain. When they arrived, we installed them. Each of them has a the illusion of, as I was saying, I mean, because it's like the it's a very simple mechanical, it has a motor that moves the water, but it's it's quite simple and each of them is independent, but the illusion is that they are all connected. And so the, the installation was a very important moment. This grass that I was describing, well, that is uh, fountain grass, and, and actually I'm very very happy because with this type of pieces, then I mean I'm very interested or as you know, also in the in the idea of growing, the growth of things. And in this case, of course, the, the how it has changed through these months. And now I'm going again. And I've been photographing it. And and of course there are organisms and, uh, and insects and sort of life living there apart from the human beings laying around. So, but the way we constructed it was, as I experienced, so I was invited and I responded with that.
0: What's the most and surprising I, thing about hmm, the project? You only see it
1: when it's there, you know, when you put all the elements, even if, if you have done a model, you know, that I did, I did models, but it's never close to reality, you know? It's an idea that, true. that you... You have in your mind, and you think it's gonna happen, it's, it's gonna function. And then there is a lot of improvisation, and it has to be. You know, at certain sides of it, you have to be flexible. You know, and and see, no, this doesn't work. We have to make it wider. The grass has to grow higher. That, that because then, of course, the grass is quite interesting way of creating a barrier. But at the same time, when you get close to it, it's like very, so organic. I mean, you look into it and I've been surprised by that too. How, I mean, it looks like a cave, you know, in a very organic way. So I'm surprised of how it's growing and how it's functioning and and how the people relate to it, you know, which is very important. Of course, here we are talking about a park. So people use it already even with all the pieces or if nobody does anything. So I didn't create a new place to be. I create a new experience and, and I'm surprised always, always with how people react and they give me ideas and responses and, uh, and also the problems that you find. I, I've been
0: surprised all the way. What's your favorite thing about being an artist?
1: My favorite thing is, is to keep having interesting projects, you know, projects that make me think, that make me imagine worlds that I haven't been or, or others that I, I know but I haven't experienced but, but, uh, by now, but it's always surprising. And so I would say that this is the thing that I, I like most of being an artist, that you have projects that you never totally foresee, you know, the dreaming side.
0: <laughs> I love that you just said that because actually, that's where I was going next. Is <laughs> to ask you what you dream about.
1: I dream, I dream about being able to do pieces that could, um, as we were saying, open minds or help to create places. Uh, I'm repeating myself, but my dream is about that. Is about being able to to make pieces that really. I mean, we were saying before about not not being functional art, but I think it is functional actually in a psychological way. Maybe that's a, a dream too, part part of my dream.
0: So expanding it beyond the idea of what you dream about with your work, what do you dream about in in general, in life?
1: <laughs> well, I, I I dream on a better world. Nowadays, is you can have also a lot of nightmares being here in Europe. We have the war next there. I mean, next door, but yes, no, but I dream in being able again to be with friends. I like, and to be with my children and to be with the people you love, but also, also to be able to have adventures that are, that have a happy end, actually. (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Being able to, some things that I control and others that I don't control. And uh, yeah, today I, I dream of those little things
0: too, with the people I love. So nice. You know, it's, it's one of the things that we have seen and relearned over the last few years is, you know, how important the most essential things are. And that is about being with those we love, you know, and yeah. doing, doing the simplest things.
1: Absolutely, that's what
0: actually matters.
1: Absolutely, to be yeah sensitive to the place you have in in this world, and trying to to do what you can, you know, to do it a bit better. But uh, those mm. little things are certainly the most beautiful ones. I dream to dream, you know. I mean,
0: mm. I think that's
1: a wonderful thing for an to be an artist to to be able to dream.
0: What have I not asked you about that you'd like to to share?
1: I'm so interested in a very you know abstract way when we talk about what you don't identify, you know at first sight and uh, so i am interested in 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 creating pieces and you know, like others that I've been doing that that are in betweens or places of transit hmm. uh, like that's the interesting. Piece that I just Yes, like the piece that I just did in at the Royal Academy in London that is called Wet Labyrinth with Spontaneous Landscape. And I'm saying this because that idea of spontaneous landscape uh, is connected to what we were saying because it's like a dream too, but a dream that comes true that actually during the pandemic there was pieces of grass growing between the, the floors of the cities, you know, the so this room that is a is a labyrinth that also water drops along the ashl reliefs that construct the, the intricate inside is again an imaginary space, but it's it's an in between you know between the the busy Piccadilly Street and the entrance to the Royal Academy. While I've done many pieces where there is this interplay between the interior and the exterior. And in this case, also along the narrow alleys and the thin openings, to this exterior landscape that I uh, develop with the help of engineers that helped me to create a structure that in, on top of the of the stone, we could create volumes with a landscape that could feel that could look spontaneous. No? I think that's also a very interesting way of working with, as we were saying, with this imaginary world, that is uh, to do pieces that at the same time are open to the, to the changes that the weather, uh, it's only the humidity and time can provoke, you know, like organisms, insects living in, in them and, and that can live and grow in this environment. And I think that makes you, I don't know, makes you think and connect with life like the piece I did also in, in the island, in this lighthouse, also connects you with the deep sea, you know, with an idea of, and, and the journey to it is part of the piece. And it's very cinematographic. The, 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 if you think that also when I do a piece, I, I also think in the way you will, in the journey to it, in, in the mm. way you will approach it, you know, and uh, wandering around, in that case, in an island that's very small, but to open a door of a house that nobody has been because we belong to the to the housekeeper, the, the lighthouse keeper, and confronting an, an, a sea apis, you know? Uh, what well, the fiction, confront a fiction. And then we were talking about memory, then you come back in the boat from the island, and, and that experience is, inside yourself and and when you look from the distance to it you
0: remember that i love the idea of remembering remembering things that you may not actually have known yes remembering someone else's memories absolutely (laughs) this is true and and then
1: to reconstruct those memories no with your own memory and the memory of others that's a, a very beautiful thing to do because it's yeah to, to take into account also history and uh, and very personal memories of of people that live in your city or
0: your neighborhood. Part of the reason I I do these conversations is to make art more transparent for people mm-hmm. by giving people access to listen in to conversations with artists and with others mm-hmm. and to know that people hear things differently based on who's mm-hmm. saying them and this this belief that you know if we continue to talk about the powerful aspects of art and the effects that it's had on my life and the lives of mm. of the other people with whom I'm speaking that it opens mm. up that opportunity for others and you speak about such poetic and abstract and engaging and enlivening aspects of creativity and creation and object making with such poeticism that really evokes the experience of your work. Listening to someone talk about it is, is certainly not the same as being able to be in the presence of the objects. As you said, transiting and mobility is has been interrupted. So the Mm. opportunity to hear artists describe works that people might not be able to have the opportunity Mm. to experience themselves is is Mm. such such an honor and such a privilege. And I'm so grateful for you doing it.
1: Well, I'm so grateful for uh, being talking with you, really. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I really enjoyed that conversation with Christina. Next time, my guest is Dr. Salah Hassan. He is the founding director of the Africa Institute, as well as holding a variety of academic positions, including at Cornell University, where he's been a long time, as well as Brandeis and other places. He has curated a lot of exhibitions, including one that was very important to me and influenced my own curatorial practice and some of the choices I made. Conversations About Art is part of HiZ.art, a multi-platform project that connects all to art through a podcast series, books, talks program, brand collaborations, TV, and more. This episode was mixed by Dominic Anthony Walsh. Our theme music was composed by Eric McDougal. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and review us on whichever platform you listen, as it helps us further our goal of connecting all to art. We will be back again every other Tuesday with new episodes. Thank you so much for being a part of our community.